We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 226. In honor of it being Hunter Month over at USHJA, they are currently having a We Are US Hunter Jumper campaign. And so if you didn't know, this month is Hunter Month. So I thought it would be fun to have a couple top hunter riders on the podcast this month to dive in a little bit more about what it is to be a hunter rider and how to really differentiate a normal hunter round from that hunter round that is in the 90s and winning the class. So our guest today has won several top hunter championships. She won the world championship hunter rider at the Peter Weatherhill Palm Beach Hunter Spectacular in 2021. She won the high performance at Capital Challenge in October of 2021. She also was the USHJA world championship hunter rider in the pro challenge and continues to be a huge force to be reckoned with with her heart horse, Lafitte de Muse, owned by Cheryl Olston. She does some incredible, incredible trips on this horse, and she has an entire program, but this horse is just so special, and I love watching the two of them compete. So without further ado, talking a lot about hunters and what she thinks about in the saddle, please welcome our guest today, Amanda Steege. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to hear all the details about you and kind of how you got to where you are today and, of course, Lafitte. Um, but first, tell me a little bit about how you kind of first found yourself in the equestrian world. So I was lucky enough to be born into a horse family. Uh, my parents, Mitch and Kathy Steege, own and operate Red Acre Farm, which is located in Stowe, Massachusetts. So my sister, Casey, and I, we grew up on the farm. Our our house was right there, and the farm had 35 horses. And about 10 to 12 of those horses were school horses that my mom teaches weekly lessons on. She still teaches her lessons, I, I think, about 70 kids and adults uh, a week. Wow. And then the rest of the horses were clients' horses and show horses that my dad would take to the horse shows and sort of travel around the mostly the Northeast horse show circuit. So I spent a lot of time in the barn, both caring for the horses that were there and getting to ride and show my own ponies and horses. We uh, we didn't go to Florida or anything like that in the winter, so. The wintertime used to be a little more normal for me. Like we did school activities and learned how to downhill ski and things like that. But the rest of the year would be very busy with helping care for the horses and traveling to horse shows. Obviously, with it being such a big part of your family, was there a certain point in time that you were like, oh man, like I want to do this for the rest of my life or have this part of my career? Or was it not until later on that you were thinking that? So I knew that I would always want horses to be part of my life. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine my life without horses, but I think when I went to college, I I went to Boston College for four years. So I 
I did my whole junior riding career, living at my parents and helping my parents and mostly with my father as my trainer. My last two junior years, I got to ride a really nice horse named One in a Million. And I showed him in the small juniors and he also was my equitation horse. So he did like Medal and Clay finals and junior hunters at like Devon and indoors and all those places. And when I did that, my last two junior years, I did have some other people that helped me a little bit at those top level horse shows. Um, Peter Wild helped me a little and uh, Bill Cooney. And those were like really instrumental lessons and exciting years for me. And that was the first time that I got to go to some of these top level horse shows. We mostly had shown probably more like national level single A horse shows in the Northeast. But with that horse, my last two years, I got to show at Devon and Southampton and indoors. And I think that sort of opened my eyes up to what was out there and sort of what what I would like to do in the future. That being said, I saw how hard my parents worked every day and how having a career in the horses is a total lifestyle and uh, there's no vacations, there's no days off, there's, you know, always somebody's quitting or not showing up to work or something's broken or a horse is sick. So I do think there was a time period where I wasn't really convinced I wanted to be a professional and I wanted my career to be in horses. And that was when I went to Boston College for four years and I was a psychology major and I finished that really early. So then I did a minor or they call it a concentration at BC in management. And I would say even like my junior year of school, I was still thinking that I was going to get a job that was not a horse job, maybe like sports psychology or something like that. And then ride horses as an amateur or, you know, on the side. Uh, And then I don't know what sort of caused the shift. Maybe it was just being away from the horse world a little bit that all of a sudden one day I woke up and decided that in fact, I did want to do this for a profession. And that even though I knew it was going to be sort of all encompassing and all of that, that I wanted to do it. So I don't know if it was just that little bit of time away of not doing it every day that, that got me to that point or, or not. Um, my college friends and roommates thought it was hysterical because I graduated 13th in my class at BC. So, you know, senior year, they're all like doing their resumes and going for interviews. And I was sort of relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, well, what's going on? And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to ride horses like professionally. And they're, you know, they were obviously very supportive, but didn't totally understand. Yeah. Um, it's actually one of the things that I've loved about Facebook and Instagram and all that is that my college friends get to see some of the videos and the pictures and get a little bit of an understanding of what it is I do on a day-to-day basis. Totally. Yeah, that's that's so true. What did you feel like maybe positive and challenging that the four-year gap gave you, um, whether it was just like riding um, specifically or getting back into showing or? So I would ride in the summers during that four-year gap and and I would work for my dad. So I worked as a professional for my dad in the summers. And 
he was still a professional rider at that point in time. So most of the younger horses or like horses doing the first years or things like that, he would show. But where I sort of started during those summers, they used to say I was the low hunter queen. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad had a lot of kids and adults that showed on the weekends. And I would show those horses during the week in the low hunters and just sort of give them like some schooling rides or training rides which was a really amazing way to start because it is a big transition. I think going from showing as a junior and having all of the pressure and goals be pressure and goals that you're putting on yourself, that transition from that to getting paid to ride and sort of having the weight of the owner's pressure and goals on your shoulder is kind of a lot. So I feel like that was a nice, easy way to make that transition because the low hunter classes weren't super important to anybody. It was mostly about the horses getting a good school. Yeah. And I was doing it on, you know, older made horses, not, you know, not the younger horses. Um, So that really, that was really helpful. Other than that, I think it was really great for me to, I would always suggest that anybody who wants to be a professional go to college, even if they're a hundred percent sure that at the end they want to be horse professionals. I just think, that time away and that the friends that I made during those four years. And there, there are definitely things that you miss as a junior in your high school career when you're so dedicated to the horses, which I'm not saying is all a bad thing. I think the benefits of what we learn and time management and all those things that you go through doing high school and doing your junior career is, is very intense, but for sure, there were some special events and some things of being a normal kid that I did miss out on. So I really loved those four years of college, putting the horses a little bit on the back burner and making some of those relationships with friends and getting to do some of the normal life activities that I maybe missed out on, mm-hmm. as well as just the education I got. And I think it's helpful now, you know, being able to go out to dinner and talk to my clients and have things to talk about other than horses. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. At what point did you start Ash Meadow Farms? So when I graduated, I graduated in 1998 and then I went to work for my dad more full time. And at that point, my riding role transitioned from not just the low hunter queen anymore, but we had a few clients that bought some young horses, mostly young hunters that I started in the pre-greens and started to develop and show in the pre-greens first years and second years. So I did that for my father, pretty much just for my father for about two years. And then my first client was a girl named Megan McGuire, and she's still a friend and client today. And Megan sent me her two horses. She had a really nice hunter that, that we both had a lot of success on named Candlelight and then another uh, young mare named Notre Dame. She sent me those two horses to Massachusetts. Megan lived in New Jersey. And I kept the horses at my dad's farm, but I paid my dad board. And then I sort of started my own business with those two horses. Nice. And Megan would meet me at the horse shows. And then I would still help my dad also on the side. And then it just sort of gradually grew from there where I got another client with two horses and then I had five horses and I couldn't really fit at my dad's farm. So I rented another farm in Massachusetts and still also helped my dad. And then 
eventually I moved to New Jersey because Megan was from New Jersey. And then my second client who had two horses, her husband got transferred to New Jersey and then everything just kind of took off from there. But so I think it was about 2001 that I moved to New Jersey and sort of officially sprouted wings on my own. Nice. That's amazing. You have been and obviously seen some incredible hunters in your career and been a a part of so many of them. In your opinion, what would you say makes a good hunter? I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go into that. Certainly, we want our top quality hunters to be, you know, attractive and hopefully have good confirmation and be good movers and have a exciting jumping style where the the jump looks consistent and smooth and shows like a good bascule in the air over the jumps but for me there's like a little more to it than that like i i really want to see a horse that has a good expression when it goes around the course and a horse that looks like it's enjoying its job and a horse that has a really good rhythmic balanced canter Uh, So there's, it's hard to find them. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to all come together, I think, to get to the very top level of, of being a hunter. We also, we talk a lot, my clients and I, because we buy a lot of young horses that these horses like Lafitte or these, you know, real superstars, it's like, they have something else. They have like this star factor or this X factor, I guess you could call it heart or desire there's, there's something that they have that's hard to predict when you're looking at young horses. Like you can find a beautiful horse with good confirmation that moves well and jumps well, but sometimes you don't know until you start showing them and you get them to the horse shows, if they're going to have this factor where they walk in the ring and they, they feel like they know that they're performing or they sort of raise their game. And that is something that, that Lafitte definitely has. And I've been lucky enough to have a few horses over my career that that do seem to have that. Definitely. And yeah, I definitely want to talk about Lafitte because obviously that has been such a special partnership. Um, you won the WCHR Professional Challenge in 2018, which is the same year you started with him, correct? Right. Yes. So, I mean, that's incredible in and of itself. Not many people are partnered with a horse and enjoy such success right away, right off the bat. Um, do you remember the moment when you realized that Lafitte was that kind of had that extra special part to him? So I flew to Europe to try Lafitte. I flew to Germany. I tried a few horses, but Lafitte was the first one. And that was my first horse shopping trip to Europe. Nice. So Definitely when I saw the videos of Lafitte, I was excited, you know, excited enough that I wanted to get on a plane and go and and see him. And for sure, when I tried him, I knew he was special. I knew his quality level was special. Like I had never ridden a horse that jumped the way Lafitte did. And and, uh, we had a pretty good connection right off the bat. That being said, I don't think I really knew what a natural he was going to be until we got him here to the United States. He flew here in November and then he was in New Jersey for a few weeks. And then we traveled down to Ocala. And I do distinctly remember around mid-December, they had some horse shows at the Hits grounds. And I wasn't showing during these weeks. We were still in the getting our horses prepared for circuit stage. 
But I took Lafitte up to the main hunter ring on Tuesday and to do the little warm up. And, you know, I started with the jump small. I had never really jumped him over flowers. I mean, you're not really sure when you right. buy them from Europe, even if they've been competing as jumpers at a high level, you're not really sure when you walk out into the hunter ring with the flowers, if they're going to be spooky or how it's going to go. And right away, the first day, he just jumped around like a natural. And I think I ended up jumping like a three, six course that day. And so then when he started showing in January, I mean, I went right to the first years, which is not normal. You know, now that I've had to do this a few more times, mm -hmm. I mean, Lafitte was a six coming seven-year-old and for sure jumping three foot six was not difficult for him. He had jumped higher than that in Europe, but I don't think I realized just how easy it was for him and just what a natural hunter he was when he arrived here. And then pretty much right away when I started showing him, he started winning in the first years. I think I did maybe three horse shows in Ocala. And then we traveled down to Wellington for WCHR week. And he got a 92 in a class that week and won a class and qualified for the Hunter Spectacular, you know, so that was his fourth show as a hunter. Wow. So if I didn't know that he was really special before then, which I, I think I did, but I definitely knew after that week that he was really special and exciting and, you know, was hopefully going to have an amazing career in front of him. That being said, I don't think anybody could have predicted even at that time, just how many classes he was going to win. Mm -hmm. I mean, like when I sit back and look at it or I write up his resume of, yeah, he won the pro challenge. He won the $50,000 class at the national horse show. He won the $500,000 class at Saugerties. And he just, you know, now he's turning 11. I don't even really think that we've reached his full potential. Wow. Like I still will show him in the high performance and be like, I think that was the best round he's ever done. <laughs> like it mm -hmm. still feels like he's on an upward, you know, slide. Wow. That's so cool. Clearly, I mean, besides even just how successful he is as a horse, you have such um, an amazing bond with him. Tell me a little bit about your you know, relationship with him and what he's like outside of the ring. Oh, I mean, he's so fun to be around, like not just for me, but for all his people. I mean, he, he really just like looks you in the eye differently than most horses that I've worked with before. And he just has this way of looking at you where you know exactly what he's thinking and, and what he's feeling. And he's very kind and gentle, but also very playful. He is very bonded and connected with myself and with Tim, my boyfriend, who does a lot of his caretaking and with his owner, Cheryl Olston. But he seems to know all his people, like the chiropractor that works on him, the massage therapist. And it's hard to explain, but he just, he has this way of sort of tugging on everybody's heartstrings and connecting differently with people than, than the average horse. Definitely. Yeah. He seems like he is like just so much fun to be around. So much fun all the time. And he loves to go to the ring. Like he's just, if anything, like, and he's not wild or fresh, but if anything, sometimes you have to like control his excitement a little bit. Like, yeah. uh, uh, he just like, he wants to do it so badly. Mm -hmm. um, I would say he's like a perfectionist. He definitely, you know, walks in the ring. If anything, 
trying 110% each time. But he's he's a joy to be around every day. He's really fun to walk around at the show. Like Tim always says, like when we go to Wellington and Tim's walking him to the ring, he'll hear all the little girls like behind him, like there's the feet. Or, <laughs> oh. you know, we'll hear little girls that be like, I saw Lafitte and Mr. Tim today. Cute. And, and, you know, we really like to share Lafitte, which I think is different in our industry. I mm-hmm. mean, I think historically people are a little bit closed off or don't really want like, you know, strangers or the public like sort of coming into their barn and being around them and being around the horses. Tim and I and, and Cheryl as well, we actually really love that part of Lafitte that we can sort of share him and we love when kids come to pat him. I love that part of being at the World Equestrian Center is that a lot of non-horse people come to the show and and want to hear about the horses and pet the horses and and learn about them. And I think that way, Lafitte's like a real ambassador of the sport that way. I know, I mean, he's like, he was the first equine ambassador for Equus and his prize money gets donated to the Equus Foundation. and, And that's really fantastic. But I just see him make connections with people all the time, you know, like little kids or older people, people that don't know a lot about horses and the way he interacts with them is like, it just is very special and not something that we see every day in our industry. Since 2004, the USHJA has created programs, offered education, and has supported members of the hunter and jumper sport. In 2022, the USHJA has created We Are US Hunter Jumper campaign to highlight all things hunter and jumper. So everyone can understand everything this fantastic sport has to offer. This month, we'll focus on all things hunters. And on April 29th, I will host a USHJA Instagram Live at 6 p.m. Eastern. I will speak to two amazing hunter riders, a junior and a professional, and they will answer your questions and we will give away terrific prizes. Be sure to follow along on social with hashtag we are US hunter jumper to find out more, learn a ton and not miss a thing. Obviously you are partnered up with a wonderful horse and I have heard that you have a goal of one day winning the USHA International Derby. Why <laughs> yeah. is this goal? Why is this class so important to you? And why do you think it's so important in the world of the hunters? Well, both Cheryl and I love that class. And in fact, when it was time to look for another horse that ended up being Lafitte, I mean, Cheryl wanted me to find a horse that I felt like someday I could win derby finals or that could be a real top contender in derby finals. So, you know, it's something we've been talking about since we we met Lafitte and and obviously he was young when we met him and it's taken some time to develop him and get him the experience to get to the place where you feel like he can be a top contender in that class. But so I guess that's part of it is it was sort of our goal from the beginning, that class. And and the reason why we love that class is because it's it's just really brought excitement back to the hunters for me. It's like the Grand Prix of the hunter world, even just on a weekly basis, like when you're doing the when you're doing each international derby or you're doing like the classes to try to qualify for derby finals. I think the horse shows that have those classes make it feel special and important. It's usually in the main ring. The jumps are a little more exciting and interesting. They usually have a lot of spectators and and some pomp and circumstance. And certainly when you get to 
Kentucky and you get to show in the Rolex arena. And especially if you're lucky enough to make it to the finals round at night under the lights and with a crowd, I mean, there's just, there's not too many classes that we get to do as hunter riders that feel as special and as important as that. So yes, I certainly am hoping to win Derby finals some year on the feed. And I mean, I'm actually hoping that he can win it more than once. Uh, like I said, he's turning 11 this year and I think he's, he and I are really sort of honing our skills. And each time we do a Derby, we feel just like a little more connected or like we've weren't learned something else about each other. So I'm really looking forward to going to Derby finals this August. With the International Derby obviously being a super impressive goal, USHJA has also created the National Hunter Derby Program Regional Championships. Obviously, this program was designed to make derbies more accessible with lower height and difficulty. So what do you think are the benefits of also having a program like this? So I think those classes are amazing for giving horses experience and exposure, as well as amateur and junior riders. I think when they go out there and and they compete in one of those derbies, even if they're not the big winner, I think the next weekend when they go back to do their adult hunter courses, they feel more confident and they feel like they've learned some valuable tools from doing courses that are a little more interesting and a little more difficult. And, And like the international derbies, I think the national derbies have just sort of revive the hunters and give us some classes to do that are thrilling and exciting and that give a lot of prize money and um, get some spectators. So I'm all for both, both sets of derbies, national derbies and international derbies. Definitely. Um, You've had the opportunity to show in many classes that some special classes like the WCHR Peter Weatherhill Palm Beach Hunter Spectacular, which is, I I feel like, always one of my favorites to watch you two perform in. The Platinum Performance USHJA Green Hunter Incentive, the Platinum Performance USHJA International Hunter Derby Championship, all amazing classes. Out of those, do you have a favorite class that you love to compete in? Oh, geez. Um, I mean, I love all those. I really do love all those classes. Uh, they're all a little bit different. Mostly I love classes that, that draw a crowd or, you know, that bring spectators in and, and that force course designers to make sort of original courses mm-hmm. with new and different jumps and some bending lines or some places that allow us to show off. I think the pro challenge is near and dear to my heart, maybe because that was the first really big win for Lafitte and I, uh, but certainly the Hunter Spectacular in Palm Beach is like no other class. And as much as I love derbies, I do love that the Hunter Spectacular in Palm Beach is still about like a classic hunter round. And mm-hmm. I like how many juniors and amateurs competes in that class. And, and uh, I think you really see the very best hunters in that class, probably of all the classes that we do all year round. But yeah, basically, I think all those classes are, are really fun and exciting. They're all classes that are highlights for us on our schedule. I think Green Incentive Finals is a really cool event. I love that it's an event that takes place over a couple of days, especially for the younger horses. I love that it's not all or nothing where they have to go in there and just have one great round. I like that there's opportunity for them to have a great experience there, Mm -hmm. even if they make a little mistake in one of the rounds. 
but I think anything we can do that sort of brings people in to watch and to, to build excitement is amazing for our sport. And I think as a rider, those classes really help us sort of raise our game a little and, and get excited when we know that there's people there to watch. Definitely. With the accessibility of classes for hunter riders at all levels, I would love for you to share some tips, um, maybe someone listening that could bring, you know, maybe step up that listener's game in their own riding. Can you share some of those tips that you think make kind of a standout hunter round? Oh, sure. So my adult ladies and I, we talk a lot about how it's not just about the distance and finding the distance, which I think is, is hard at first. I think when people are first starting this, they're so focused on, on the jump and, you know, finding the perfect distance and placing the horse at the perfect distance. We talk a lot about how the best hunter rounds are, they look effortless. They're, they're about an evenness of pace and learning about your track and working on your position so that, it all looks very effortless and you look very still out there. We work a lot doing rails on the ground or cavalettis and trying to learn how to use your position to make small adjustments with your horse so that it's not so that as the judge, you're not watching your hands or your legs making the adjustments all the time, but you're using your body and, and small cues to your horse that, will allow you to make adjustments without anybody seeing them. So I think it's important to really work on your position. I think it's important to use rail exercises or cavalettis to learn what a 12 foot canner feels like and try to really just be comfortable in that canter. And then as you hone those skills, the jumps start to become less significant than you think. And I'm not saying that we don't have to look for a distance or, you know, try to help our horses get to the best distance they can, but you start to learn that it's more about the smoothness and the evenness of the round and how you can get a little deep to the jump or a little long to the jump out of one rhythm. And it can still look really beautiful. It's, it's not so much about that. You have to place your horse at this one perfect spot. Right. One element to a lot of these larger classes that you and Lafitte compete in is having a hand gallop jump. So can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about, in your opinion, what you feel like makes a good hand gallop jump? Uh, for one thing, you, you have to get out of the saddle. And, you know, sometimes I'm surprised how many people, even at the top level of the sport, go to do the hand gallop jump and they're sitting in the saddle. I mean, the number one thing about the hand gallop jump is you, you have to be in your half seat. You have to be out of the saddle. And then I think it's important to show sort of an extension of pace or, you know, a building of pace. Um, but it has to look smooth. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good to get out of the saddle and go as fast as you can and then get a few steps in front of the jump and have to start making all these adjustments. So, right. you know, you have to play around with it a little bit and practice it a little bit. And it's, it's about showing off a, a little more pace, but you still want it to be smooth and you want to get to the jump like out of one rhythm. So it's, it's something we practice a lot at home. Um, just getting out of the tack and asking our horses to gallop a little bit, even on the flat, because we get so stuck in that other canter and that other pace. Yeah, definitely. But when a hand gallop jump is done 
well, it is like so exciting to watch, you know, when when it's like, especially when it's at Derby finals and it's like the last docs are coming home. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is a question I ask every guest. What is an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting question. I guess, I guess sort of something that I touched on already is that I'm really passionate about trying to bring more outsiders into our sport, you know, even if they're not going to be riders, like I love the idea of, of being able to share Lafitte or, you know, all of my horses with, with non-horsey spectators. Like I said, you know, we've been at the world equestrian center this winter and we've gotten to do that a lot. Um, and, and, and also like the way that Cheryl has been helping by donating her prize money to the Equus Foundation. I think a lot of us are surprised to see how many horses there are in need in our country. You know, I mean, we go to Wellington or to Ocala and we see all these horses that are being taken care of so well, but I was really sort of overwhelmed to see how many horse rescues there are out there or to hear about the Mustangs and all the horses that that need help. So I really like the idea of you know, donating prize money to, to places like the Equus Foundation or, or time or anything you can to try to help out with some of these programs that are trying to help all the horses out there that are, that are struggling. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's an amazing point with the remainder of 2022. What are some of your plans and where could we find you showing? So the next place we're going to be is in Aiken, South Carolina for two weeks, the beginning of May. And then we'll be headed back to New Jersey and we'll have some horses at Devon and then Upperville, which is always a huge favorite of ours. And then most likely Lake Placid. And our next big event after that would be Derby Finals and Green Incentive Finals in Kentucky. Exciting. Amazing. Well, I'm excited uh, to go live with you at the end of April over at the U.S. Hunter Jumper Instagram account to talk a little bit more. They'll be able to have different people ask questions and hear more from you, but also getting more specifics on a perfect hunter round. So excited to talk to you then. But for now, um, I have had so much fun watching you and your horse's journey. It's been really cool to watch and I wish you all the best. Thanks so much. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.